Welcome to the Standard of Truth podcast, hosted by historian Dr. Garrett Dirkmott, where we explore the early days of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and gain rare historical insights into how a young farm boy was able to establish a new church and grow it by way of visions, manifestations, and miracles. Welcome to the Standard of Truth podcast. I'm your host, Garrett Dirkmont, and I'm joined by my friend, Richard Leduc. Hello. In this week's podcast, we want to discuss some of the early antagonists to Joseph Smith. So, Garrett, what are or who are some of the early antagonists to Joseph Smith and kind of what's their approach? Well, really, I mean, it's kind of like get in line, right? I mean, <laughs> if you're asking who is antagonistic towards Joseph Smith early or late, it's essentially everyone. Um, but if we want to talk about what are some of the ways in which people attack the things that he had to say? I mean, that that's that that's kind of a different question. There are different methods that people employed to try to undercut the claims that Joseph Smith was making. And they, they range anywhere from just simply saying, well, that sounds crazy, to attacking Joseph Smith's character personally. And, and you know, those aren't exactly the same thing. I mean... There, there's a pretty big difference between your friend, you know, telling you a story that you don't believe and you thinking that your friend is is a drug dealer who kills people. Those aren't the same thing, right? That there, there's there's a level of, of, of credulity in between those two areas. So uh, I want to to start off early on. And again, this is in no way comprehensive, like like literally everything else we've done on the podcast, no matter how much it sounds like we're talking about, there are. I, you know, we're barely scratching, not even a hundredth part of what we could talk about. So I'm just going to uh, talk about some of the examples of ways people spoke out against Joseph Smith so that we can, we can go from there in our discussion. Now, everyone's familiar with the fact that Joseph, you know, he, he says that he told people about the first vision. And so if you were to ask Joseph, when did the opposition start? He's going to he's going to start off really early. Now it sometimes perplexes people. You know they'll say things like, "Well, if Joseph Smith really told people about the first vision, then how come we we haven't? How come no one wrote wrote that down?" This to me seems odd. Uh, I mean uh, that that I went on a mission to Wisconsin, which, as I've said before, is like not going on a mission at all. But while I was there, I I. Multiple times, um, I multiple times met Jesus. Now I don't know how really to say that, but multiple times I met, and they they weren't the same person. Although twice they were wearing a Packers sweatshirt, so there's that. I, I think that maybe you know, in, the closer I got to Green Bay, the more Jesus wore Packer gear. But I actually didn't write about those experiences because you know it. I considered the person crazy. And so that was the end of the conversation. Part of the problem with studying something from the past is we assume that something that's really, really, really important to us is really, really, really important to someone from the past because it's really important to us. And so we ask questions like, oh man, I'm sure that all anyone talked about was, for instance, the first vision. Well, that's something that's really important to us. Because that's a that's a point of of where we see our faith starting. 
for the people that Joseph would have told, which I'm, I'm, I'm thinking it's not very many uh, early on, once he has this, this terrible interaction with the, the minister who tells him that he's been deceived by the devil, not only is what you saw, what you experienced, not from God, it's actually from Satan. It's, 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 it's not even, it's worse than saying, well, you're lying. <laughs> it's, it's you you actually did have an experience, but it was with the devil. And I don't, and we don't have really good records of what's going on in the intervening years. Um, but by the time Joseph Smith gets the plates, the, the opposition is, I mean, in many ways, it's kind of a, it's kind of a schizophrenic thing. People are going to say that Joseph Smith is a liar and at the same time be so certain that he has gold hidden in his house somewhere that they're going to home invasion his house, break into it, ransack it to try to find the gold that he clearly doesn't have because he's obviously lying about everything. These two things don't actually follow, right? Oh yes, everyone knew that Joseph was a liar and that he lied about everything. And every time he said anything, he was just lying about it. That's why we decided to try to break into his house to steal the gold that he said that he had. The reality is the actions of people at the time demonstrate that Joseph clearly must have been thought to be someone who was trustworthy. You, you, you don't break into someone's house to steal the money that they claim to have. If you know that they always lie about having money essentially. Well, the, the real, the real public opposition. So, so what, what I want to say is that all of the, all of the opposition that happened to Joseph prior to when we have writing of it from the time we really can only rely on Joseph and Lucy Max Smith and people reflecting back on that time period saying, you know, I tried to talk to someone about this and they, they were upset. They, they got angry. But when we get to 1829, we actually have people in public attacking Joseph Smith and his story. So our first really, you know, extensive antagonistic attack on Joseph Smith is going to come from Palmyra, August 11th, 1829. Now there are other people who've made passing negative comments about Joseph and the idea of the gold Bible. In fact, Egbert Grandin, who eventually publishes the book of Mormon before he decides to publish the book of Mormon actually publishes an, a, a, a small little biting barb against, you know, how ridiculous the book of Mormon is before that. But our first attempt to try to deal with the whole story is from 1829, August 11th. Now, in August of 1829, think of the number of people who actually believe what Joseph is saying. Notice I didn't say the number of people that are members of the church because, you know, spoiler alert, there's no church. It hasn't been founded yet. So there isn't any kind of societal fear that there's this new crazy religion and everybody's joining it. There is, in Palmyra, a grand total of just Martin Harris who believes Joseph Smith. And that sometimes. I mean, you know, I mean, he's kind of he's he's he generally believes, but he's also dealing with his family and, and all the problems they have. In Harmony, where Joseph actually lives in August of 1829, there's a grand total of of Emma that believes Joseph Smith. 
now, of course, the Smith family, you know, Joseph's brothers and 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 his his mom and dad, and his, they believe him. But outside of Joseph Smith's family, in Palmyra, where Joseph grows up, and in Harmony, where Joseph is living, there is no one who believes him. This this is not some kind of, you know dam of belief that's about to burst and drench all of the burned over district putting out the fire this is the crazy seemingly crazy story of this clearly uneducated kid who's who's claiming things that are so fantastical no one in their right mind would believe them and, and, and if you're thinking to yourself, no, no, I would believe them. Well, just, you know, play this out for yourself. If, you know, I don't know where you're at. I mean, maybe, maybe you're listening to this while you're folding laundry or you're, you're driving your car. Uh, I, you know, uh, we're huge in Iceland. Yeah. Yeah. I, if you're in Reykjavik right now and, and you're thinking, you know, I wish they would stop making so many references to American pop culture and, you know, where's, where, you know, <laughs> where's Bjork, um, uh, the, the, the reality is wherever you're at right now, just imagine if you were to go outside and as you went outside, you ran into somebody who said, Hey, Hey, I, I, I just saw an angel. Your first reaction to that would be whatever you said to the person. Cause maybe you're a very kind person. Maybe, you know, you're like, you're like my wife and, and you, you can only say kind things to anyone, no matter what's going on. And so, and so. Uh, you know, it, she would say, well, that's, you know, tell me about the angel and, you know, let's, let's have a conversation about him. But in her mind, she would be thinking, you didn't see an angel. This is, this is a load of garbage, right? I mean, and, and, and think about that. That That's what would happen. If anyone walked up to you, you're at the grocery store. They're like, Hey, I just saw an angel in aisle 11, right? You know, you, you might say, do you know where the dog food is though? Cause that's what I'm looking for. You wouldn't actually believe them. And we're Mormons. We literally believe in the ministering of angels. We absolutely believe that angels can appear to people and give people revelation and talk to them and help them and perform miracles. And if someone as a Mormon told us that they saw an angel, we would say, no, no, you're lying about that. There's no way you saw an angel. So imagine a world where they don't believe in visitations from angels or that God is giving new revelations. What is their reaction going to be when someone like Joseph says, not only have I seen God in Jesus, I had an angel appear to me in my room three times last night. And then the next day he appeared to me again. And then he appeared to me again. And he told me that out near my house, there's a bunch of plates made out of gold that have writings of ancient prophets that talk about Jesus coming to America. Even as I say that out loud, right? You you start to go well so so the the initial response then is to just dismiss it as crazy. How how could you do anything other? I mean, think of all of the the I mean, the, think of all the crazy people you've met in your life that have said just ridiculous things, you know, uh, like, like I believe someday there'll be political harmony. I mean, just things 
you can't possibly believe. Have you thought to yourself, you know, uh, oh yes, this is a this is a this is probably a movement that's going to that's going to make a giant difference in society. Uh, it, it the the reality is your natural reaction when someone presents you with something that seems totally unbelievable is to kind of laugh to yourself in your mind and walk the other way. You're not worried that that's going to become a big deal. I mean, I'm, they're obviously if they were threatening you, that'd be different. But I mean, in just a general conversation, and so. The, the other place where there are people that believe Joseph, you know, there's some people in Colesville that believe Joseph, uh, the, the Knight family, you know, they, they, they've accepted Joseph's claims, but, you know, they're again in an isolated community. And then, of course, you have the Whitmers in Fayette. Well, I mean, the quintessential factor of Fayette, the whole reason why they go to Fayette to translate is nobody lives in Fayette. I mean, if you go there today, you better pack a lunch before you go because, you, you know, you're going to the middle of a field, you know, and then there's the church and the, and, and the, 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 the replica of, of the Peter Whitmer farm. So there are very few people that believe this. And not only are they very few, they're very sporadic. And, the, and if you're in Palmyra, you probably have no idea that the Whitmers, you know, you know, a day and a half journeys away in, 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 uh, Fayette, believe this. You certainly don't know that there's a bunch of people down in Colesville who believe this. So it almost just seems like it's Joseph shouting down a hallway, right? That, that there, there's no fear that anyone is actually going to believe this. And frankly, we don't pay a whole lot of attention to things that we don't think are actually going to affect us. We dismiss them that we, we don't pay a whole lot of attention to them. When, when my daughter asks me if it's going to snow today and it's 90 degrees outside, I don't spend a ton of time researching whether or not it's going to snow. I simply say, no, dear, we're going to have to wait a few more months. Or in Utah, probably, yes, it actually is going to snow today. And so the, the point I'm trying to make is that early reactions to Joseph Smith appear to be lack of recognition of what he is going to say. You don't need to write a book convincing people not to follow the Book of Mormon if, in fact, you think only a crazy idiot would believe that there's a Book of Mormon. You don't need to write that book. The book's taking care of itself. Life takes care of that, right? Well, we've talked about Jonathan Hagley before. Jonathan Hagley is the editor of, of the Palmyra Freeman. So when we talked about the translation of the Book of Mormon, we talked about him. But one of the things that, that, that we get from his attack, now remember the reason why he uh, is attacking Joseph isn't because he's certain that everybody is going to believe Joseph Smith. It's because he's mad. And, you know, Essentially, he's angry tweeting here, right? I mean, why, why is he mad? Well, because he thought that Joseph was going to publish the Book of Mormon with his buddy in Rochester, and instead, he's publishing the Book of Mormon with his arch nemesis and crosstown rival and political enemy, Egbert Grandin. So he takes to his paper to attack Joseph and his story really as part of the way of attacking his enemy Grandin. Well, let me tell you how crazy Joseph Smith is. And by the way, Egbert Grandin's publishing his book, right? It's, 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 
again, I know it's hard to believe. I've said this before. It's hard to believe that people would treat each other terribly solely on the basis of politics or money. But you have to imagine this world, this 19th century world that isn't ours, where people would hate other people solely based upon their political beliefs. And that's that's certainly the, the case with the anti-Masonic movement in, 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 in early New York. So he titles his article, The Golden Bible, and he proceeds to attack Joseph Smith. Now, again, I know you've... I, if you've listened to all the podcasts, which you probably, if you have, you aren't even listening to this one. So I'm assuming you're all new listeners and you just tuned into this one. So let me give you a little bit of a recap. Um, I'm going to read part of this article and I just want you to think about it. this is being written in August of 1829. Let me put that in a time frame. The Book of Mormon, they haven't even started typesetting the first page of it at Grandin's print shop. They've made the agreement to publish it, but they haven't started to even print it yet. We are months, nearly a year away from the organization of the church. There are almost no uh, uh, believers at this time. And why does this article matter? Well, it matters because it's so early. So much of what we'll talk about uh, later with antagonistic attacks on Joseph Smith are are attacks that are made by by copying what someone else has said. So you'll have people all the time say, oh yes, well we all know that Joseph Smith was just lying because of X. But all they're really doing is copying what someone else already published and said. This article is so early, there's no one else to copy. And again, part of the reason why he doesn't think he needs to copy anyone is Jonathan Hadley thinks that this is a giant humbug that no one's ever going to believe in. He starts, the greatest piece of superstition that's ever come within the sphere of our knowledge is one that has for some time passed and still occupies the attention of a few superstitious and bigoted individuals in this quarter. It is generally known and spoken of as the Golden Bible. Its proselytes give the following account of it. In the fall of 1827, a person by the name of Joseph Smith of Manchester, Ontario County, reported that he'd been visited in a dream by the Spirit of the Almighty and informed that in a certain hill of that town was deposited this golden Bible containing an ancient record of divine nature and origin. After having been thrice thus visited, as he states, he starts throwing in there, as he states, because he wants you to know that he doesn't actually believe this. He's just reporting this. After having thrice been thus visited, thus visited as he states, he proceeded to the spot and the Bible was found together with a huge pair of spectacles. So just think about what's going on so far in the story. How accurate is what he's saying? Now, yeah, it's laden with sarcasm and he certainly doesn't think any smart person's going to believe it. But he even knows how many times the angel appeared. He knows that uh, that the plates are found with interpreters. He knows where they're found. I mean, he hasn't yet attempted to really kind of distort the story. It was said that the leaves, of the, this is him again, it was said that the leaves of the Bible were plates of gold, about eight inches long, six inches wide, and one-eighth of an inch thick, on which were engraved characters or hieroglyphics. So, Again, he's giving dimensions of the gold plates. 
There are lots of people who try to give dimensions of the gold plates, but those are the dimensions that Joseph Smith gives of the gold plates. He's, he's giving this explanation in a way that, frankly, might even be able to make its way into a Sunday school manual. The angel came three times. They were plates. They were made out of gold. There were hieroglyphics on them. He, he then goes on to say, the account of this discovery was circulated and the subject was invariably, invariably treated as it should have been, with contempt. Right? You can see what he thinks uh, people should think about this. He goes on, actually. I, I won't read the whole thing, but he actually goes on to tell the whole story of Martin Harris taking the characters to scholars in the East and having them you know, say, oh, I, I, I can't interpret these. And Joseph then beginning to translate the book. He, he has a mocking, incredulous tone throughout, but he really sums it up near the end. After having told the story, frankly, outside of the mocking, in a way that you might tell the story. He says, now it appears not a little strange that there should have been deposited in this Western world and in the secluded town of Manchester too, a record of this description and still more so that a person like this Smith, and then he put in parentheses, very illiterate, should have been gifted by inspiration to find and interpret it. It should be recorded as a new thing under the sun. It is certainly a new thing in the history of superstition, bigotry, bigotry, inconsistency, and foolishness. It should, and this is the, the key part, and it doubtless will be treated with the neglect it merits. The public should not be imposed upon by this work pronounced as it is by its proselytes to be superior in style and more advantageous to mankind than the Holy Bible. You can see where the incredulity of Hadley comes down. Joseph Smith, the lower class day laborer from a family that can't hang on to their farm in Palmyra, the uneducated ditch digger, you're saying that he wrote a book that's superior to the Bible. I mean, not to channel you know, Lloyd Benson, uh, but I mean, Hadley's essentially saying, as he says that, that, that Joseph Smith is very illiterate. I know Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith has talked to me. I've met with Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith didn't write a book that's even similar to the Bible. Hadley's expectation is that between the craziness of the story and whatever pile of garbage Joseph puts forward as supposedly the Book of Mormon, whatever whatever, whatever he, he ends up publishing, because remember, it's not published yet, that whatever that is will be so ridiculous that only an incredibly stupid person could possibly believe it. Now, you'll notice that while he is going to say that Joseph Smith is illiterate, he doesn't make any personal attacks on Joseph Smith. He, he doesn't say, let me tell you how immoral that Joseph Smith, let me tell you, you know, everybody knows that Joseph Smith's a liar. Everyone in town knows that. He doesn't say any of those things. Well, he does call him illiterate. He calls him illiterate. He, he, the one thing he says is that Joseph Smith is illiterate. 
Now, of course, Joe Smith is technically literate in the sense that he can't write. I mean, but what he's saying is he can barely write. And, and the point of him saying that is there's no way he produced a book that's supposedly superior to the Bible. He, he couldn't have. I think Hadley thinks that when Grandin publishes this book, it's going to be a, a confused mass of ridiculous, terrible writing, much like something I've produced, right? <laughs> and that and that, that would, 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 would demonstrate how, how idiotic this whole enterprise is. Because Hadley is making his comments with a couple of things that, you know, we know what happens in history, but he doesn't. There are two things that he can't come to terms with, and that informs his criticism of Joseph Smith. The first is... He has no idea that the Book of Mormon is going to be this exquisite book of literature that it ends up being. Now, yeah, sure, antagonists of the church love to attack the Book of Mormon, love to criticize it, love to say all kinds of things about it. But PhD historians who are not Latter-day Saints Men like Daniel Walker Howe, who wrote the Oxford History of the United States during this time period, says that the Book of Mormon is an incredible piece of literature. That it is that, you know, true or not, it should be given esteem. So I, I realize that that um, people attack the Book of Mormon, you know, antagonists of the church attack the Book of Mormon and do so on a uh, on this kind of basic level. That's not what what scholars who who aren't even Latter Day Saints uh, do. They they see this as this is a very impressive thing. It has nothing to say whether or not it's true. Just the fact that it's this giant six hundred page book that has all of these various narratives going through it is impressive in and of itself, and certainly beyond the capabilities of of, of Joseph Smith is is what we might add to that. But anyway. So he doesn't know that. He doesn't know that, A, the Book of Mormon will be in any way similar to the Bible. And two, that that anyone would ever believe it, right? So so those are two assumptions that he's operating under is Joseph's not actually going to produce a book that anybody's thinking is similar to the Bible. And two, no one is ever going to believe this. He doesn't have to worry that there's going to be suddenly thousands of Mormons flocking through Palmyra. No one is going to believe this. So while he he mocks the story, I think in a way to just kind of dig at his political enemy, he doesn't feel the need to attack Joseph in a personal way, that he's somehow immoral, that he's somehow... Because he, he thinks that this is just like he says, that it will doubtless be treated with the neglect that it merits. I, I don't need to spend time convincing you that the Book of Mormon's not true. Dude says he saw an angel. That's the end of our discussion. I, I, yep, I can, I can just dust off my hands and we're done. This is what someone says about Joseph and about the story of the Book of Mormon and its translation before there's a Book of Mormon and before there's a church. You'll see how very quickly that narrative of just telling the crazy story 
how that narrative is going to shift as a book actually is produced and there actually is a church and, you know, stunningly for Jonathan Hadley, there's enough stupid people apparently that those people keep joining it. One of the next people you could look at as a, a prominent figure, far more prominent. I mean, Hadley's a, a printer, you know, and he'll, 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 uh, you know, be prominent in various local places. But one of the most prominent early antagonists of Joseph Smith is Alexander Campbell. Now, Alexander Campbell is the founder of, uh, of a religious movement. Um, they'll just simply call it a Christian movement. Um, that, it will eventually come to be called the Disciples of Christ, um, but you'll. But this is kind of after him. Um, uh, but he, he uh, is the founder of what's often called the Campbellite movement or the Stone Campbell movement. Um, and and the point of it is, it's a Christian primitivist movement. It it's it, Campbell um, has a uh, 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 a you know a publication um, that is claiming that the problem with Christianity today is that it just needs to get back to the biblical church of Jesus. That that if only we could get back to what Jesus originally intended, we wouldn't have all of these, you know, these arguments between Methodists and and, uh, Presbyterians that we wouldn't have, you know, Lutherans and Baptists, you know, hashing it out as far as what the truth is about transubstantiation or something like that. And in fact, Campbell's movement is going to argue that, that the way you do that is by going back to the Bible exclusively, that if it isn't expressly in the Bible, not, 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 you know, we can kind of infer from, you know, from Ephesians 2 that, no, no, if it doesn't say it in the Bible, then we don't say it. And this actually put him on the outs of some other Christian leaders because what it meant was he actually rejected as a point of faith the 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 creeds of Christendom. The, the idea of, you know, the, the Nicene Creed and the Apostolic Creed, which affirm things like the Trinity or, and, and the nature of Christ, um, but uh, which we talked about. Um, and, and he did that because he felt like they were causing contention inside of Christianity. And while it's, you know, you certainly can find I and the Father are one in the Bible, you can't find the uh, apostolic creed. You you can't find discussions about the essence uh, and the uncreated nature of God and Jesus in in a, in a in a creed that's in the Bible. That that is something that people have taken from the Bible and they've tried to say, well, the Bible means X. And then they've argued about whether or not you accept what they've said the Bible means. So in many ways, Campbell is this, he, he like I said, a Christian primitivist. And I don't mean that that means he doesn't, you know, isn't believe in, 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 uh, you know, cooking his food. I mean, it means that he wants to get back to primitive or original Christianity. What was Jesus teaching and how can I make my church be what Jesus created without all of these, these, these other doctrines or teachings? So in, in that sense, I think a Latter-day Saint could find a lot of things about uh, Campbellism that are very, you know, 
but they're impressive. I mean, that, that, that you'd say, you know what? He's clearly inspired. Well, um, he, as you might imagine, given the fact that the Bible is the only source of any knowledge at all in his church, he doesn't react very well to the claim that Joseph Smith has printed a new gold Bible. Now, of course, Joseph Smith's not claiming it's a gold Bible. That's just the way it's attacked in the press. You even got that from Jonathan Hadley. Campbell is going to reject the Book of Mormon on a completely different basis, which is, is it's interesting. He's primarily going to reject the Book of Mormon on the basis that it's not the Bible. Because if all truth is only in the Bible, well, the Book of Mormon ain't in the Bible. So therefore, just on that fact alone, it can't be true. Now, unlike Hadley, who's going to dismiss the Book of Mormon without looking at it, Campbell's going to devote all kinds of time examining the Book of Mormon. And he goes through almost a verse-by-verse criticism of the Book of Mormon. But what is his criticism resting on? Every single place that the Book of Mormon says something that is not expressly stated in the Bible, well, that's proof that this can't be true. He also criticizes the fact that there appears to be many passages that are similar between the Bible and the Book of Mormon. So therefore, Joseph Smith must just be copying portions of the, of, of the Bible or trying to write something that sounds like the Bible. And, he, and, and he's able to get away with it because, because he's quoting so much of the Bible. So his conclusion is, I cannot doubt for a single moment that Joseph Smith is the sole author and proprietor of the Book of Mormon. Campbell doesn't know Joseph Smith. He doesn't, he doesn't know him. He, he, unlike Hadley, who knows Joseph and knows that Joseph's illiterate, Campbell doesn't know him. Campbell, seeing the printed Book of Mormon, determines, well, here's what's going on. This person got the Bible copied a bunch of the Bible into what he called the Book of Mormon and then made up a bunch of his own stuff. But you can tell that it's not from God because look at all these passages that contradict the Bible. In Alexander Campbell's critique, in his, his published critique, he is attributing Joseph Smith the authorship of the book. And in fact, you know, one of the criticisms that he makes of the Book of Mormon is that it has too many answers in it. This couldn't possibly be true because, oh, I see, we're all having arguments about infant baptism, ordination, the Trinity, regeneration, repentance, justification of the fall of man, the atonement, transubstantiation, fasting, penance, church government, religious experience, and the call to the ministry, the general resurrection, eternal punishment, who may baptize, and even the question of Freemasonry, Republican government, and the rights of man. All these topics are repeatedly alluded to. So, so part of his criticism is, well, if this book was true, it would somehow answer all of these religious controversies that everyone's arguing about now. And if the Bible can't answer those, how could some other book answer those? Again, his starting premise is, if it ain't in the Bible, it ain't. And so when, when the Book of Mormon authoritatively comes down, 
on the question of infant baptism. Not not speculatively comes down on it. Not not well. I guess if you if you read uh, you know Corinthians the right way. No, no, it it comes down definitively on the idea of infant baptism. To Alexander Campbell, if the Bible doesn't come down definitively about infant baptism, then how could some other book authoritatively? Oh, I understand that there's pastors all over the place who think that they can be authoritative about infant baptism. But you're claiming this book is essentially better than the Bible, right? For, for, for Campbell, the very fact that it seeks, that the book seeks to answer the questions that are still plaguing. Now, of course, he and, and critics of Joseph Smith since then will say, well, I find it very convenient that the Book of Mormon just so happens to talk about infant baptism as a controversy when that was a controversy in 19th century America. It's actually been a controversy in the last 2,000 years of Christian thought, actually. Uh, so we could, we could have this same podcast having a conversation about it today, and it's a controversial subject in Christianity today, outside of the 19th century. It was a controversial subject when it was instituted. The Anabaptist, the entire Anabaptist movement the whole point of it, this, these are early radical Protestants. The entire point of at least the beginnings of their movement was that Lutheran reformers were still advocating for infant baptism, and they were advocating that baptism had to be, had to be when someone was an adult. So yeah, Joseph Smith's just only speaking to the baptism controversy of the 1830s that just so happened to be the baptism controversy of the 1580s. You know, but but you know, within that 300-year time frame, boy, he really guessed it really well. I mean, the 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 reality is that because Campbell decided to see it through the lens of how it wasn't the Bible and how it doth protest too much that it knows things. He rejected it, but his rejection is very is very interesting. Now, he is going to make some personal attacks. He's going to multiple times uh, say that Joseph Smith is a liar. This prophet Smith, through his stone spectacles, wrote on the plates of Nephi in his Book of Mormon every error and almost every truth discussed in New York for the last 10 years. Um, but he's going to get a lot, a lot more personal than that. Um, but, the God of Abraham and the God of Joseph Smith must then be a liar. This ignorant and impudent liar says this about God. I mean, he, he, he is, he's going to flat out say that Joseph Smith is a liar who himself wrote the Book of Mormon. Um, and, and even when he's making criticisms, he's going to say, Joseph Smith overlooked this in his impious fraud and made a hero of Lehi. Right? I mean, he, he is attributing sole authorship to Joseph Smith that, that in a way that Hadley couldn't because A, there wasn't a book, but without knowing who Joseph Smith is, without having that personal connection, for, for Alexander Campbell... The Book of Mormon is not the Bible. It's clearly contradictory to the Bible. 
Joseph Smith must have written every single word. And probably the best way to leave off Campbell's criticism is it is certainly Smith's it is as certainly Smith's fabrication as Satan is the father of lies. Well, that's there's not as much room for discussion at that point, right? I mean, it's I'm pretty sure Satan's the father of lies. And so he's he's saying it is 100% a Joseph Smith creation. So that that's the argument that he's made. So talk about how the first real uh, argument that's made is that Joseph is too illiterate to produce anything. And then the very first real criticism when it exists is he wrote the whole thing. Right. So you go from, you go from rejecting the very idea that an angel could have appeared to him because this is not the vessel God's going to choose to ride out the storm in. Uh, and the rejection that Joseph Smith could produce a book that's superior to the, look, Joseph Smith doesn't have the ability to produce a book superior to the Bible. So that, that early kind of, the early kind of, I'm dismissing you because you're crazy. You're the, you're the one wearing the Packer sweatshirt, right? That, that's who you are. I don't need to spend time on that juxtaposed to after a Book of Mormon exists, after the Book of Mormon's published. And by 1832, when when Campbell's, I mean, he writes most of his, his uh, criticism in 31, but by 32, there are thousands of members of the church. There are people who are now joining and believing this. So you, you can't make the same argument, and that is, there's no way Joseph Smith could produce a book, because he did, right? So what's the argument now? Well, the book he produced isn't the Bible. Joseph Smith is a liar who just wrote the whole book himself and did so so clumsily by trying to answer all of today's questions and by quoting wrongly from the Bible right that that kind of a his his argument is very much the kind of argument that you might get from from a protestant christian today well the book of mormon says x but actually the bible says y so that's why it must not be true even to the point of it's alexander campbell that's going to begin the 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 nitpickiness if we had to find a a, a frame for a word for a phrase that um, of of attacking the fact that the Book of Mormon will make the reference to the fact that Jesus will be born in the land of Jerusalem. And of course, Alexander Campbell pounces over that. Oh, of course, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. How, you know, Joseph's so stupid that he didn't even realize where Jesus was born, essentially, right? Now, of course, that description is is pretty easily understood by someone who they're referring back to the Jerusalem as the place where they used to live before they came to the new world. Right. And Oh yeah, he'll be born in the land of Jerusalem. You know, you know, you know that place that we don't even know about because it was hundred years ago. Yeah. That place. I mean, uh, when, when I talk about the homeland, the Netherlands, I can't exactly draw you a map to the village. My dad was born in, and that was my dad. But anyway, um, uh, uh, the, the reaction is, to 
not say that that Joseph is crazy. The reaction is to say Joseph is a calculated liar who wrote this whole thing himself. And that's why there's so many inconsistencies. That's why it 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 overspeaks the Bible and whatnot. Are there any people that know Joseph that are now making this argument? Because it seems Hadley saying it's not possible for him to produce this. So it transitions to, well, he wrote the whole thing, but this is from somebody that never knew or met Joseph Smith. So are there any people within Joseph's circle that know him that are saying that he wrote it? So not within his circle, at least not quite yet. Now they are going to start to make that argument. And and what happens is over the course of the next, uh, over the course of the, the first several years of the church, there's going to be a huge explosion in, in, in believers. So a great way to trace this is the reactions of Eber D. Howe. Howe kind of gives us this kind of range of person who initially rejects Mormonism and then his reasons for rejection are going to become much more complex as he uh, as the the Latter-day Saints movement around him grows. So who is Eberhow? I know I'm throwing a bunch of names out there to you, but um, Eberhow is a prominent uh, newspaper editor in uh, in Painesville, Ohio. So, I mean, if we do enough of these, uh, if we do enough of these podcasts, eventually we'll get to, you know, just charting the church as it moves through its, its area. And if you listen to all of them, then you'll still be just as confused, but, but so that we have a little bit of history behind it, right? The church is obviously founded in New York and in late 1830, uh, the, the Lord is going to command the church to move to Ohio. And, and that's following, you know, this, this gigantic explosion of converts in Ohio. And, and so, uh, Eber Howe is this newspaper editor in the Kirtland area. He's, he's in Painesville, but it's, you know, it's the Kirtland area in the land of Kirtland, in the land of Kirtland, but not actually Kirtland. So therefore we can tell that I'm also lying. Now, um, uh, he, he's in the area and, Howe is not exactly a fan of organized religion generally. I mean, he, he, he thinks that the, you know, the, 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 the ecstasies and the, the, you know, the falling on the ground when people are at a, you know, at a Methodist camp meeting is preposterous and ridiculous. And he certainly doesn't like the fact that it seems that religionists want people to give up their senses in the name of some kind of ecstatic religious experience. So in November of, uh, of 1830, these four, you know, preachers show up in the, the Kirtland area and he might have not have taken a very big notice of them, Eber Howe, if it weren't for the fact that they were incredibly successful. Parley Pratt, one of these missionaries, went to go visit their, one of his former uh, ministers, uh, Sidney Rigdon. Now, Sidney Rigdon was actually an early follower of Alexander Campbell. In fact, one of the reasons why I think Alexander Campbell wrote the scathing booklet that he wrote attacking the Book of Mormon is a whole bunch of 
Campbellite and Campbellite leaning Christians in Northern Ohio left the religion because of, of, of the book of Mormon. And so that necessitates a response. Again, going back to the fact that the very fact that a prominent religious leader, the leader of an entire religious movement in America took the time to write a 45 page book attacking the book of Mormon, or maybe it's only a 38 page book. I can't remember. It's not a big book, but it's that he took the time to write the book demonstrates what that you actually have to respond, right? You don't respond, you know, in a giant press conference to a, an email that you received from one disgruntled podcast listener, right? That there's way more than one. I, I know, I know I, I want to speak for you, but, but the, but that's completely disproportionate, right? If, if I have one person who, who, who says, you know, I just really didn't like the fact that you talked about the, the, the translation of the book of Mormon, I don't then call every news outlet and have a press conference where I try to explain my actions. The reality is if you don't think it's going to come to anything, then you, you thank the person for their comments and you move on. Right? Well, the fact that Campbell's recognizing this is, 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 is a reaction to the fact that there are lots of people that are believing this and certainly, especially among the Campbellite movement. Why, especially among the Campbellite movement? Well, Alexander Campbell has convinced all of these people that the form of Christianity that existed in Jesus's time is no longer on the earth. That's the whole point of his movement is we've got to get back to the way it was with Jesus. And then Joseph Smith comes along with a claim that those same disciples of Jesus and the same John the Baptist are restoring authority and that they're creating that same church that used to exist. Yeah, that's going to be enticing to someone like Sidney Rigdon. Now, Rigdon is, is going to study the, I mean, one of the, honestly, one of the great miracles of the early church is Rigdon, who is a Bible thumping preacher. If you've ever heard one, again, he's, He's actually kind of disassociated with the Campbellite movement by, at that time, but it's still he still holds to the main premise. If it's not in the Bible, it's not true. And here comes Parley Pratt saying, hey, here's another book of scripture, an entire book of scripture that's not in the Bible, but is absolutely the word of God. The fact that Sidney Rigdon accepts the Book of Mormon at all is stunning. And he does it in one week. He reads the Book of Mormon in a week and comes back and says that it's true and then begins to try to preach it to his congregation and they throw him out of his congregation, but, uh, and they take away his house. The worst part is they built him a house and not only does he lose his job, they take his house back from him. So, you know, anyway, so many of, uh, you know, Rigdon's followers are going to believe that the book of mormon is true that it, it causes this explosion of membership in the church and and like i said the, the the campbell remonstrance against the book of mormon comes in february of 1831 so it's 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 a little bit you know it's it's shortly after rigdon's conversion um but it it's interesting that in his attacks on joseph smith uh that that they that he doesn't attempt to claim 
as so many later people would, that in fact Sidney Rigdon had helped written or helped write the Book of Mormon. Instead of 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 saying, you know, oh, I see what happened. Joseph and and this apostate preacher of mine, Sidney Rigdon, got together and they wrote something that sounded like the Bible. Alexander Campbell doesn't make that claim. Now, later people will make the claim that Sidney Rigdon had something to do with the authorship of the Book of Mormon. Now, they won't make this because they have any evidence, and in fact, all historical evidence demonstrates that they don't know each other at all. But but it's, as we've talked about before, Unisom anti-Mormonism. It helps him sleep at night, right? Because what, what becomes incredibly apparent now that we have all 12,000 of Joseph Smith's documents, after we have every single thing that exists that Joseph Smith actually wrote himself, what becomes painfully obvious? That the Book of Mormon is beyond Joseph Smith's abilities. And they're especially beyond his abilities, especially beyond his abilities in 1828 and 1829. Because we have some Joseph 1828 and 1829 writings. And so they, in their desperation of trying to create an, a, uh, an authorship for the Book of Mormon, realize the argument that the Joseph is just the sole author of the Book of Mormon is a really bad argument because we have all these other things that he wrote and the Book of Mormon surpasses them in, in its abilities. So, well, who could write a book of scripture? I know, the very well-educated and eccentric Sidney Rigdon. But you know who doesn't make that argument? Alexander Campbell in 1831. So someone who actually knows Sidney Rigdon, instead of making the argument that the Book of Mormon must have been written by Sidney Rigdon, is still making the argument that Joseph Smith wrote. That, that's a demonstration that the argument that Sidney Rigdon is the author of the Book of Mormon is of much later origin. And it's an origin out of desperation, not out of evidence. Because the people who know Rigdon best and who know Joseph best aren't saying that it was that it was Rigdon. At least not yet. Now they will. They will because, you know, you know, spoiler alert, it's coming. But I mean, uh, I, I one more quote from uh, Campbell I thought I'd leave with you um, as he tries to dismiss anyone who thinks that Joseph is saying something right, you know. Um, but but Joseph was was just an ignorant young man. That needs no proof. I'm very, very, very proud of himself that he threw that. Gulliver's Travels is a heroic poem in comparison to this book of Smith. But he could not write a page. Neither could Muhammad, who gave forth the Alcoran. Smith is an honest-looking fellow. So was Simon Magus, the sorcerer. But he was inspired. So was Judas by Satan. You kind of get an idea of Alexander Campbell's uh, point of attack there. But fundamentally, what's important is he's arguing that Joseph Smith created all this that he's the author. In fact, he, Joseph Smith is certainly its author as Satan is the father of lies, right? That's a pretty certainty in Alexander Campbell's worldview. So Eber Howe watches this transformation that happens, and it, it causes an uproar in the country. Now, when the preachers first arrive, 
he mocks them a little bit in his newspaper because he kind of mocks a lot of eccentric preachers. That's, you know, some people showed up claiming that there's a gold Bible and an angel and whatnot, right? But then it's not nobody who believes. Probably stunningly to Ibrahim, there are dozens of people that within, within a month, at least a hundred Within a few months, hundreds that have all accepted the Book of Mormon as the Word of God and that Joseph Smith is a prophet. And so suddenly the the Mormonite uh, problem, as 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 it you know it's going to be styled, becomes a much bigger issue. Because it's not just nobody believing as as Jonathan Hagley assumed, or as certainly Alexander Campbell. Uh, thought, you know, no intelligent person could believe. But actually, it's affecting the community. There are families where people are believing this is true and others saying, well, you're a bunch of apostates. And in fact, this is the same thing that happens in Eber Howe's family. His sister is going to join the church. So he already had a problem with Mormons and their claims before that. But suddenly, he has a familial connection to that. And then his wife joins the church. So as you might imagine, this is going to be a very personal thing. Now, I know it's going to take a lot of imagination to imagine a world in which someone is angry when when their loved one uh, joins uh, the Latter-day Saint faith. But you have to go with me back to the 19th century when people are like that. And, And... it is going to cause how to become this inveterate enemy of of Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon and of uh, the the truth claims that are being made by by members of the Church of Christ and and how is with this vested interest you know it, with his his family that's joining is going to seek as he will write all legal means to arrest uh, the spread of Mormonism. But he is going to have a very helpful ally with a very unfortunate name. I mean, you'd almost have to say it, right? I mean, uh, uh, and that is the man by the name of Dr. Philastus Hurlbut. Well, in our next episode, we're going to talk about how Dr. Philastus um, is able to make claims against Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon that are going to be far more uh, far-reaching and have much more standing power than the, the passing criticisms of Jonathan Hadley or of Alexander Campbell. And again, I know there are many other people. Look, again, there are lots of people attacking Joseph Smith during this time period. I'm playing the greatest hits like a, 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 a DJ on a radio station that's about to be shut down. And so these are the ones we're going to cover, um, but there, there certainly are others. So join us for the next episode, and we'll talk about Dr. Philastus Hurlbut. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Standard of Truth podcast, hosted by historian Dr. Garrett Dirkmott. If you know anybody that could benefit from the material in this episode, please share it with them. And for more resources, visit standardoftruth.com. Until next time.